Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. And sir, we are back for a family affair, a drama that is near and dear to both of us, or at least near and dear to someone near both of us. Mr. Mark Ellis, how you doing, sir? I am great, Jacqueline, and I'm I'm perplexed by your intro because sometimes you do the hello, everyone, like I do. Sometimes you do the hey, y'all, and I thought we were getting a hey, y'all here because the movie we're talking about sort of harkens back to your hometown of Corpus Christi, Texas. Yes. It's so weird. So I moved to Corpus when I was seven. And so, like, it's mostly where I'm from, but my mother really tried to keep as much Alabama in our house as possible, but <laughs> nothing could come against the wave that is Selena Quintanilla Perez. That was her full name. And she was a juggernaut in Corpus Christi. She was the biggest, like, star when I was growing up in middle school. In fact, uh, she died in March. We were just coming back from spring break mm. and the girls in my school cried in the hallways for a good month. And I'm not exaggerating whatsoever. I remember hearing about it. And then it's like the next day, the movie was just out and and everybody was was raving about the movie. And so unless it's a made for like TV sort of lifetime movie, you really don't get a turnaround like that with a horrific tragedy of a beloved star. And then the movie, especially one that, that ends up being as great as Selena. And that's, you know, just our opinion on it. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 67 percent. Is that yeah, right? 67 percent fresh. And a 77% fresh audience score. Our guest today, I feel, is going to object vehemently to those assertions <laughs> as anybody who's seen the film and has any like modicum of attachment to Selena will do. But we are going to welcome him on in just a bit. Harvey Gann, he plays Guillermo de la Cruz in Hulu's What We Do in the Shadows. And I think, you know, a friend to RT, he's really great and absolutely hilarious. I cannot wait to talk to him about this movie. He actually, we had to keep going to find the movie that that reached his heart. And when he saw Selena, <laughs> he said yes. And shout out to Brian Perez, who was the one who suggested this title to him to allow him to be like, yeah, let's go to oh, Selena. Way to but, go, Brian. I know. But uh, before we do that, sir, Mr. Mark Ellis, can you give us the who, what, where, why uh, happens in Selena from 1997? I certainly can. Selena is what the kids call a biopic, as I used to pronounce them biopics until I was forced to change. And it is about 
Selena Quintanilla, who was born into a very musical family that was Mexican-American and, like Jacqueline said, about 15, 20 miles from Corpus Christi, Texas. And her father, Abraham, is played by the wonderful Edward James Olmos. And you see that she's talented and they sort of perform together. And then she finds a lot of success. She's rising through the ranks. She falls in love with someone else in one of her bands. And that's not going to please Poppy all that much. And so you have this person at the crossroads that every musician faces where there's stardom and it's just a step away. I've already gotten a lot of popularity. People love me. And then we have tragedy in that final act where Selena is sadly shot and killed and she had so much life left to live so much music left to give us so much beauty to put out there in the world and it is jennifer lopez who is playing this lead character the titular character in selena very well done sir i I, as we will discuss later i have a feeling you've seen this movie one or two times but <laughs> there's I, I have some influences in my life that have uh that, that have opened my eyes to the greatness of selena because again <laughs> i remember it happening i did see the movie initially maybe five six years after it came out but then circumstances as they are i met somebody still very close to me who is a monster selena enthusiast and Thankfully, she is, because I love that this is this is not a movie we had to introduce you to. This was one where you felt right at home. But Mm -hmm. before we dive into it and talk to Harvey, let's go ahead and venture back to what the critics and audiences were saying back in 1997 with one of my favorite segments. I just cannot wait to hear the music play where Tim Ryan (laughs) tells us what happened in Two Minutes with Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. Every death is a tragedy, but the murder of Selena Quintanilla Perez felt especially cruel. Here was a young woman who was beloved by her legion of fans and those who knew her, and who was on the verge of superstardom before she was killed by somebody she trusted. A movie biopic was inevitable, and Selena had a huge asset in its favor. A breakout performance by Jennifer Lopez in the title role that captured the essence of its subject. That said, while critics praised the film's warmth and performances, a few felt that it suffered from an overabundance of musical biopic cliches. Selena is fresh at 67% on the tomato meter with 48 reviews, and it has a 77% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Gene Oppenheimer of Box Office Magazine wrote, Jennifer Lopez is sensational. She not only looks remarkably like the real star, but she radiates the same incredible energy, warmth, style, and magnetism for which the young pop singer was known. However, in a rotten review, Edward Guthman of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote that the film was only so-so, but Lopez is so vibrant that you almost forgive the movie's paint-by-numbers script and moldy formula. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Selena occasionally struggles to tell its subject's story with depth or perspective, but those flaws are rendered largely irrelevant by Jennifer Lopez in the title role. So that's Selena. Back to you folks. Oh, thank you very much, Tim, for that. I, I literally feel I was I was back in Corpus Christi striving with every fiber of my being to leave <laughs> just listening to you talk about it. Um, but look, you don't take my word for it um, about Corpus or Selena that we are going to have, I think, a kind of Selena expert come and chat with us. So why don't we go ahead and welcome to the podcast Harvey Guillen and have a listen to our chat with him about Selena. Hello, 
everyone. So we are here to welcome Harvey Ginn. He plays the scene-stealing Guillermo de la Cruz from Hulu's What We Do in the Shadows, Emmy-nominated Hulu's What We Do in the Shadows. Harvey's here to chat the 1997 film Selena, starring Jennifer Lopez, and his role in What We Do in the Shadows, which is now in season three. Harvey, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to chat. I feel like I've kept up with you a little bit because I follow you on Instagram now and you are a favorite follow. I was so happy that you picked this. Um, I don't think you knew this, but I'm actually I went to high school and middle school in Corpus Christi, Texas and was in Corpus when they filmed this movie and also when Selena unfortunately passed. Oh my gosh, so this is like, wow, this is kismet. It was The only story. other movie that could be more like CC, as we like to say, is if you did The Legend of Billie Jean, which we will get on this show <laughs> at some point or another. I'm into that. I I have a, the only Selena like sort of history that I have, because I, I, I remember seeing the movie. I remember being aware of it in 97 when it came out, but I didn't see it for a while. But Molly the Wonder Dog's mom, Danny Fernandez, one of my good friends who uh, Harvey may know Danny Fernandez. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, she is like a monster Selena fan. So when I go over, if we're dropping the dog off at each other's place, if I'm at her place, there is just shrines to Selena everywhere to the movie, to the artist. It, it really is a Selena friendly household. And so I think I've been inundated with a lot of that culture. So I'm excited to to, to chat this movie because it, revisiting it again, it was it was an experience for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So Harvey, really quick, let's go ahead and, and break down the, the ins and outs of this. Uh, it came out in 1997. It's 67%, which is still a travesty because it should be certified fresh at like 95. But it does have a 77% fresh audience score. And so just to have your definitive answer, is RT wrong about Selena? And what do you think the score should be? Yes. Yes, it's, it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it should definitely be like, I would say closer to 98 or like up there. Like it's like, for me, it's like, you know, of course I'm biased because I actually grew up listening to Selena music and it was like a huge deal in our household. Um, and so for me, it was like a hundred. I want to be a hundred, but you know, like any project, nothing's perfect and nothing's, you know, a hundred percent, but it should be, it should be pretty close to a hundred. I think personally, it's actually a great film and it, it did a, a great justice to tell the story of Selena Quintanilla. So I think it should be, you know, up there. <laughs> yeah. Also let's talk about it. This movie was made so close after her death. Um, I'm curious when, cause I feel like this must've been two, you must've been two when this came out, but <laughs> when did you first see, uh, the film. I first saw the film actually on DVD, and I think we rented it uh, or got it like one of those like box uh, things. And it was kind of a uh, an eye-opening moment for me because I, growing up, we didn't see a lot of you know Latinx representation on film, especially in a lead. So for me, it was kind of like Jennifer Lopez portraying Selena it was kind of like a huge, huge moment for me just to be like. She's doing it. She's doing it. It's possible you could actually, you know, do this uh, because up until then, I don't think we've had a lot of films that necessarily revolve around Latinx actors. Um, and that's unfortunate because uh, we are like, you know, what is it? Something ridiculous, like 65% of uh, theater goers or something like Absolutely. that, you know, where it's like, yeah. So it's a huge thing. And so I was, um, I was really encouraged to continue to want to be an actor when I watched it. So I think it has a, a special place in my heart because it kind of uh, gave me this extra boost of confidence when I watched it. 
Oh, great. Mark, what about you, sir? Uh, what do you feel about it? Did, was this the first time you, obviously not. Danny has made you watch Selena at some point in your knowing this woman. I feel well, like if she did it. Made me watch it is a strong <laughs> word. Like it, you, it was like, okay, twist my arm. Cause I am obviously a huge Jennifer Lopez fan. I think she's great. I love Edward James almost. And so th those were really the the ends that I had to watching and witnessing the power of Selena. So I'm happy that it is fresh. I'm happy it's 67%, but I agree with Harvey. I think it should be much higher. And I love that Harvey also has the same uh, grading system as my high school because nobody ever got 100% in high school because they said <laughs> that nobody's perfect. So even if you ace the test, the best you could do is a 99, which really hurt kids like me who needed that extra 1% to help the rest of my <laughs> horrible test scores. So I, I, what I love about this movie, and I think the biggest reason why I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong and is shortchanging Selena is the powerhouse performance from Jennifer Lopez, the star-making turn that we all got to witness, but also that quiet emotional storm until it's time to not be quiet of Edward James almost as Abraham, Selena's father. Uh, I agree with you on that one. So this movie, uh, funnily enough, uh, was both filmed and premiered in Corpus Christi, Texas, and they had the premiere at Tinseltown, which I did not get to go to because I'm not that cool and I was definitely not that cool in 1997, but I then did watch it because they pretty much made Selena the entire like running weekend that weekend of like movies. So that weekend, like Selena played like 15 different times at the Cinemark Tinseltown uh, out on like, <laughs> I think it's like Castores or Greenwood, like forgive me CC listeners if I'm not getting the street wrong, but that was like our big me Megaplex, which had just opened. The first movie that played there was Twister. And then we then got <laughs> Selena, uh, the premiere there. And it was such a big moment. There's so many scenes in the movie that are like ripped from my adolescence slash childhood uh, growing up there. And yeah, man, it's um thinking about how quickly they got it in production and how quickly they were able to tell her story after her death. I mean, this was still a time, Harvey can recall, when like her music was just dominating the airwaves, both her English language stuff and her old stuff, because people just really did not want to let her go. And this film felt like an extension of that um, in, in so many ways. So I, I don't know. It's a uh, it's it's a movie that I can't really separate from my time uh, living there. And then also just the intense reaction uh, everyone had to uh, Selena Quintanilla's uh, untimely death. But we'll get into all of that. But let's go ahead and just first talk about the film. Um, I saw it back in 97 at Tinseltown. But Harvey, for you, when you were watching it on DVD, were you already a huge fan of Selena's music at this point? Like, when did you yeah. know, like, the, the division? I, I was a big fan. My mom was a big fan. Um, and I just, uh, I, I just remember that the music would play constantly. Like we would clean on weekends. So like on weekends, like she'd bump up the music and it was like Gargancha would be playing and she'd be like cleaning like, you know, the living room and like, or, you know, or BBD Bam Bam, like all the songs. So I grew up almost like a, like nursery rhymes. <laughs> like, yeah. So I would fall asleep to like, you know, in the background in the corner, I could still hear a little bit of the music on the weekend and stuff. Uh, Cause it was weekends where like, you know, cleaning and you know and you have to have a good time when you're cleaning so she put on the music and 
And it just made it so nostalgic for me in a way, because I watching the movie was so a part of my culture and watching it on the big screen, again, validated my, you know, like my being and like the culture that I, I am so proud and love to be a part of that. It was just like nice to be like, it's up there. It's up on like there. Yeah. And then when they have the restaurant and the movie, when they go, you know, they own the Tex-Mex uh, restaurant, like all those little things, I was like, we go to Mexicans all the time. Like that was just nice to see it represented on screen and, uh, and, and, and almost like a reflection of yourself. So it was just really nice uh, to put those together, growing up with the music and then watching the movie, falling in love with Jennifer Lopez. Honestly, before that, I don't think I had ever seen or heard of Jennifer Lopez until I saw her place. Like, and then I became obsessed. I was like, Oh, who is she? Like, yeah. and then of course we went on to do everything under the sun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, this was definitely the moment. I mean, I remember watching this and being like, is that the fly girl? Like, I literally was like, she's this is the fly girl from from Living Color, and and that's who she was for a long time for me. Um, uh, even when she was making hits that were on the radio, uh, kind of breaking it down to the movie. Which, first of all, I have to say, I also you could not live in Corpus without being exposed to so much Tejano music, especially Selena. And there was a Sunday morning program that was a Spanish language program that I did not understand a single word of it, but I still watched it and it was Domingo. <laughs> did you did you ever have Domingo? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we had Domingo in Corpus and I didn't understand anything that was on the thing, but I knew they were gonna play music. And I also knew the guy from Primer Impacto, the astrology guy. Yeah. <laughs> was oh, gonna yeah. pop up and so literally every sunday i would watch domingo and and like you know listen to the music because the music is translatable no matter what um Wait, but I had that no Walter Mercado? was it the yes yes yeah. yes it was that Walter Mercado. such a great it, that was a netflix documentary yes. about walter it, it was so good and eye-opening for me who had never heard of him but again going back to to danny because that's all we talk about on the show is is my exes, apparently, but Danny <laughs> would like knew like from her childhood, and yeah. so she got to see that, and so that was that was just another like kind of in into into this culture because I like you never really put together that you've heard Tejano music your whole life, just living in, anywhere in America, really, and then when we watched it for the first time, it, as soon as the music kicks in, I'm hooked because I'm such a sucker for great music and especially like peppy, happy, upbeat music. It, oh, there, yeah. There's nothing better than that. Absolutely. Um, more accurately though, too, uh, Jennifer Lopez is also very recognizable in the What's Love Got To Do With It video with Janet Jackson because she was one of her backup dancers. Like, girl has made an evolution. <laughs> Let's get down to the actual meat of the film, though. There's so many great scenes from this movie. Like, it is one of those ones that you want to queue up and have, like, the moment. And so there's a few that, like, stand out. But I'm just curious, Harvey, since there are little touches that mean more to you, if maybe there's, like, a deep cut scene for you. or but there's like plenty of the greatest hit scenes as well. I mean, I really love the, it's such a horrible thing to say. I love the way that uh, Lupe Ontiveros played Yolanda just because it was, I just, I just hated her. <laughs> just yes. hated so much. And that's a good actress when you're such a, you know, she's doing such a phenomenal job that from the get-go you're like, oh, I just, I just uh, don't like you, you know? And <laughs> although I love Lupe Ontiveros and funny story, she was supposed to play my mom in a film um, and she was cast and everything and Aideen Velasquez and I played sister and brother. And uh, the week before we started production, uh, Lupe passed away. 
unfortunately. And she was supposed to play my mom in a film. And I was like, oh my God, it's it's Yolanda from Selena. So I was literally living my life. I was like, she's going to play my mom. Oh my gosh. And then unfortunately, that was the week that she passed oh, away. Oh, that's so you know? sad to hear. But such a great like inside story, which, yes, there's a meme that goes around um, like, uh, like the internet, especially in like Latinx circles where it was like, when you see this actress on screen, you know you're about to get mad or sad immediately. Yeah. Cause she like, <laughs> she very much played Wait. so many of those characters. Cause she was also in Real Women Have Curves. The bomb in Real Women Have yeah, Curves. Yeah, and like that, for folks that don't know, that was Lady Bird, but with Desperate Housewives. She yeah. was the, the mother-in-law in Desperate Housewives. So she always, she's such, she's such a great character actress that every time you're just like, oh, she's so good at these roles. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just loved it. And I was actually curious to, to see how they were gonna do the actual, you know, interaction between them because I was like, oh my, I was bracing myself. I remember watching it because I knew, I knew the story. I knew yeah. she shot her and she passed away. And so I was like, how are they going to shoot this? I don't want to, I, I kind of don't want to see the actual tangible event. And I think the way they shot it was with, you know, moving like blurry vision of something yeah. running and like the ambulance and then that ring with the egg that so iconic that I don't know if it was scripted, but Jennifer, like then she, it sounded so just like Jennifer. She's like, it's an egg, you know. Yeah. It's like when she got the, the ring, and I was just like, oh, all the pieces and and how they brought it back, and she and the ring falls out of her hand when she's in the ambulance, and then you know, yeah, that she has passed away. And I was like, wow, I was like, really well done that way. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Yeah, um, that's the crazy thing about this. When this movie came out, every event of it was so much in the in the public's consciousness because everybody knew the story she catapulted she was already famous she was already well known but she catapulted to literally worldwide renown because she was right on the precipice of really going to the next level and that sort of tragedy really i think shakes people mark what about you do you have a favorite scene well, it, it, it's tough to top any of those like real emotional gut punches that you get towards the end and just just playing a character like yolanda has got to be so tough just given the recency of the tragedy not happening that long before filming the movie and so, yeah. but the, the one that really struck me and, and it hit me again rewatching it was when she, when, when Selena is, is just sort of forced to, to confront Abraham with, with the I love him scene. Like when mm. she says, I love him and, and, and he kind of steps in the way um, of Selena and Chris's relationship. And it just, it, it's this very sort of empowering moment, but it also, you feel the strains of, the, of a familial relationship that is is start that has to grow and be nurtured or else it's not going to work anymore so it was just a really like heart tugging sequence for me to watch for whatever reason i'm not sure what it was about when she just has to announce that her and chris and and, and john seda is so great in that role too mm -hmm. it's it, it just really hit me in a way that i wasn't expecting because i knew it was coming this time when i watched it again this week but it's still it just it packs a wallet man yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I have so many scenes that sort of stay in my heart, but uh, Como La Flor, when she calms the crowd down after they're going like nuts for her, yeah. is one of my all-time favorites. First of all, it's like one of my favorite Selena songs, uh, like that and Amor Prohibido. There's bigger hits, I think, out there, but those two are like my favorites. And um, 
just the way that she just slowed it down and then she just smiles. These, this is literally, they show in the sequence at the end of the movie, that was Selena's move. She would, she would get the crowd right eating out of the palm of her hand, pause and smile. You know what I mean? Like, and that was like a signature of her performances. And I loved that scene. It just, um, it showed that she had such a power with her audience that literally they're ready to, you know, riot almost to try and get near her. And she could literally calm them all down and give them literally like a communal Xanax with her voice. So <laughs> I I love, love that it's scene. It's so cool that like Jennifer Lopez's career at that moment was probably, you know, parallel to like the idea of what she was portraying on screen, mm-hmm. where it was like, this is going to be your life, which was so weird to think looking back at the footage of her portraying Selena, uh, and Jennifer Lopez, a newcomer into the acting world, not, you know, she'd been a fly girl, like you said, uh, but like really unknown at that point. And then yeah. almost to watch the movie and then think, wow, I wonder if she had any idea that she was playing a superstar on stage and singing and performing. She had never know, cut an album before that. And then it just happened. Like the, it was almost like a transition movie for her to, to know what it would feel like to go through those emotions because she herself would be feeling that for the rest of her life. Yeah, no, I think like Money Train, which is what she did like a couple of years before or a year before Selena and then Anaconda. But the one that like sent her over the edge was one. She was doing this with her music and then out of sight when she did Soderbergh. That's when she like blew up. And that was like a year after Selena. So you're right. It was just like right. She was right on the precipice of making it. Um, Before we get out of this, though, I'm sure there's another scene. Uh, Harvey, do you have another scene that you want to shout out from the movie that you particularly love? Yeah, I mean, I like the bus scene where um, she's just like, it was nice to see how playful Jennifer was portraying Selena. There was this one moment where they're talking about like, you know, uh, what her dreams are and what her ambitions are. She was talking about designing clothes and she's like scribbling or something. And there's this moment that the director caught where Jennifer just looks over and her hair just falls on her face and it just covers half of her face, but not her eye. And she gives a smile. And I was like, those little moments that I was like, oh, they capture really real moments, not stage moments of like, and then you're going to sit down and then so for me it was those moments that really breathed into like uh humanity where it was like that's such a cool moment and the camera just happened to be on and it just caught it you know and you still feel like you're you're watching selena even all these years later when we know who jennifer lopez became you still feel like you're watching selena it like i i it it, very rarely was i taken out of the movie and and thought oh j-lo is giving a great performance here because she just becomes that character and all those concert scenes, like I love a good concert sequence that feels realistic in a movie because so few of them are able to pull it off that well. They literally, when they were making the movie, they, they had 30, 40,000 people show up just to watch these scenes be filmed. And they ended up making it look like it was a real concert. And just to pull that off, to have the loyal fan base even after Selena's passing to show up and honor her in that way. And for that, for those crowds to give J-Lo the, the freedom to become Selena, I just thought it, it, it's remarkable to see how well it still holds up. Yeah, um, I will have quibbles as a as a person that lived in South Texas for a long time with Jennifer Lopez's Texas accent. There is a different form of Texas accent <laughs> in South Texas. <laughs> than straight Texas. I want like south of San Antonio, that is a different accent. Like you get down Brownsville, but I will forgive her of that. That'd be like a New Yorker, like being like, oh yeah, that's a Queens accent versus a Manhattan accent. So like nobody else is gonna call those balls and strikes except for me, but they're there. Do you have a little bit of Texas that slips out when you, if you have a couple cocktails? Cause, uh, cause I have my Southern twang will come out a little bit if I have enough uh, liquid libation to help, you know, usher the cause 
Actually, yeah. what's... <laughs> go ahead, Harvey. <laughs> I was going to say, one of the things that I remember that became such an iconic line was, uh, you know, when you see those guys, the low riders are like, hey, anything for Salina, you know, and it's just like the yeah, inflection yeah. of that was like, okay, it's a little, well, you know, a little much, <laughs> but okay, I'll forgive because it was like, hey, that's it, you know, it was just like this yeah. like, uh, over the top accent. There are people who talk like that, obviously, but I was like, okay, we don't need to let you come. We don't need to go this far. Also, like, again, it, again, it's like, that guy would not be there. The Riders is yeah. like a different part of Texas. Like, again, what these are like- tech, Where's this low rider guy? I was like, maybe in East Los, like if you're in East Los, and maybe- Like, like you know- San Antonio, Houston, you can do that a bit, but in Corpus where they were, that is just not the T. Sorry, like, I'm literally like- like <laughs> Yeah, you I was mean- like, well, and they're in the middle of the, what, the desert? And I was like, yes. I want to know you- that backstory. I was like, what are those guys in the convertible <laughs> doing in the middle of the desert? <laughs> like, you would way more find a like, kind of like, you know, S kicker, as we like to say, shit kicker, I'm going to just say it, a Hispanic dude with like a jacked up truck in that part of Texas, then you would right, be right. to find a low rider. I'm just giving y'all facts. You can fight me later. I'm not saying they aren't there. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I'm living my truth. I lived it. But it added um, a really nice like sprinkle of like, it becomes such an iconic scene and everyone does that now. So anything for Salinas, you know? Yes. And I was yeah. like, you're saying her name right. It's not Salinas. <laughs> 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 but that's the but that's again it became awkward to iconic and that is the testament of a movie that is so beloved. I will have to mention this scene just because it is actually one that I see like come out a lot because it is like the greatest I made it moment. And it is the moment with Selena in the mall at the Grammys when, mm. you know, the woman she comes up and I guess um um uh, she's trying to dress one of her one of her friends and she's just like, okay, we got to get you a dress really quickly. Um, let's go to the mall. Obviously, this was the last minute thing. And the woman's like, she's like, I need to see this dress. She's like, oh, you don't want to see that one. It's $800, which by the way, sure as heck would have happened in these malls at this time. And it's, it's like- It's the pretty woman moment. Yeah, it's the pretty woman mm-hmm. moment. And then like everybody swamps it because that was actually true. Selena was so famous that like, Anywhere she went where people knew an inch of who she was, they just wanted to get near her and like and and come say hi. And I think she was very open about the fact that she was always out there. You know, she was at her shop. She was in Corpus. She was going to Whataburger. Like there'd be all these stories of like, oh, I was, you know, behind the line with uh, Selena at Whataburger that people would talk about stuff like that or whatever. So she was very um, close to her fan base. And so I think that scene was great. And then Jennifer Lopez played it perfectly when she looked back. We don't need the dress. I was like, yes. (laughs) So what's going on in here? It's Selena. Who's Selena? She's here for the Grammys. The Grammys? So, what do you think? Mm, Me either. Excuse me, miss. Excuse me. We don't need to dress. And fun story, the actress who played her best friend in that scene ended up playing her mother in the series. 
Oh my gosh, I did not know that. Yeah, we haven't talked about the series, but we absolutely should because they're they just finished part two for the series, and that has some really incredible moments too that were both in this and seen through like a different lens. Because like again, it's sort of like doing Marilyn Monroe. There's iconic outfits that you think of, and so like the big purple outfit is one of them. One yeah. an outfit that Danny, not to bring her up again, but Danny has recreated to literally pitch perfect uh <laughs> ability so shout out to miss danny fernandez i might have uh, helped with that i might i might have i might i might have an assist i'm not sure i gotta check with her i <laughs> love it um we kind of talked to her all, a little bit already about the music um as a fan of her music what was your favorite sort of performance harvey um from the film i mean i really like i, I love all the songs but like for me the performance was the iconic at the astrodome Mm. Just like the, the finale, um, which technically wasn't her last concert. I did some research. Her last concert was not there, but it was the the biggest uh, concert she had uh, before yeah. her passing. And so for me, it was so iconic to see that again, the purple outfit, uh, bringing back the 70s with the bell bottom jumpsuit uh, and, and the moves just because it was the, the disco medley. And then she's like working in the dance and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And and knowing that it was coming to an end, like the climax was that like, you knew that it was like, this is it. Like you knew because you knew the backstory. So even if, you know, you're just watching in the back of your head, you're like, it's coming, it's coming soon. Yeah. You know, and it's like this almost like uh, this climax to this like roller coaster that you're like, oh, I don't even want to get there and I'm about to just, and then it happens. So for me, that was such a, a moment because it wasn't that long ago that we saw that performance you know, uh, being played on TV over and over for her anniversary. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so that's for me was a, an iconic moment. Yeah, I will add to that one too. What I thought was great about that is that disco medley that she did, which was a huge um, on the air hit um, in South Texas where I was from. I don't know where it played everywhere else, but it was a big deal where I was from. Um, and that I think showed where she was going to go with her English language because one of her biggest influences, I honestly think, is Donna Summer. You can't listen to her slow songs and not kind of think of MacArthur Park and listen to her upbeat songs and not think of the more disco-infused stuff that Donna Summer did. I always felt that she was so influenced by that. Yes, pop stars and all of that other one, but when you really looked at who she was as an artist, like she definitely talked so much more about emotional stuff that also could have an incredible beat to it. So I, I loved it, yeah. that that was where she was with uh, her musical performance on that I one. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. That would have been the timeline when she was little in the 70s singing at her dad's restaurant. That would yep. have been around the time that all these hits would have been coming out with, you know, John Summer. Like, so that sounds perfectly accurate. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, I don't know this for sure, but whenever I used to hear her, that was the first thing I would think. And so when she made that disco medley, I was like, <laughs> I got it. Like I feel like I. It's like like Leonardo DiCaprio once upon a time in Hollywood. This is it. This is my tea. Uh, Mark, what about you? Uh, favorite musical moment. Um, my favorite Selena song is is probably "Dreaming of You," but I also like the uh, the, the cheek. Uh, you have to forgive my awful accent. Uh, what Chica de uh, Apartamento. <laughs> yes, it's five five twelve. Yes. Yes. And um, and so I have trouble remembering all the songs that actually get performed within the context of the film. But the the concert sequences themselves, not just the way they were shot, but the way that the actual family responded to them, because they're apparent. The story goes there was one concert sequence that they filmed in front of like tens of thousands of people. And afterwards, Selena's mom came up and hugged J-Lo because yeah. 
She, she, she was watching her daughter again. And that's, yeah. uh, again, because you're talking about someone who who th- they didn't want cast as they wanted to cast like a non Latinx person to play Selena. And mm-hmm. so the director had to fight for Jennifer Lopez just to get a shot to play Selena in the movie. Yeah. And then the commitment that she showed once she got it, where she moved in with her sister and she, re- she did more than just like mimic the moves on stage. Like she really did everything she could to, to embody and honor the role that she was playing. Absolutely. And that's why it is like an uncanny valley where it's eerie. She really does disappear. And this is Jennifer Lopez. Like, I'm literally watching her, you know, making out on a tarmac with Ben Affleck two days ago. But that to me is in no way similar to (laughs) the woman that you see in this movie, even though I know in my heart it is. But like, I can't see her in this. I just see uh, what she's trying to get across from us. And so, yeah, it's a Really, really incredible performance. Um, actually, one of my favorites, it didn't like get a full moment on it, but they did play Amor Prohibido, which is sort of like the chronicling of her relationship with Chris because it like talks about like, we're not supposed to be together and all of that. And I was always just like, this is their Romeo and Juliet song. So I love that that song so much. You already talked about it, Harvey, about the quotes from the movie with Salinas. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just can't. I, I literally, I'm like, this just, feels wrong <laughs> to say it, but that's what it did. That's what it is. I'm just trying to be accurate to the quote. Um, another quote for you. I already said mine. You can keep the dress. Uh, we don't need the dress. Sorry. I think that uh, the, the quote is where she's doing the press conference in Mexico City, the FA, and, uh, and they're asking her the questions like, D- I thought she spoke Spanish. I thought she was, like, she was like, I'll be fine. And she's like, and she's like chopped up Spanish. And she's like, uh, so, Estas feliz? You know, they're asking her in Spanish, are you excited to be in Mexico City? And she was like, yeah, I saw him we um excited, you know, and just yeah. like the idea that, like and she still won them over because she wasn't trying to put on air. She was like, look, yes, I speak a little bit of Spanish. I'm not like completely fluent, you know, but she was just like, so for me, it kind of was really nice because uh, you know, being first generation American and learning a different language in the household and then going to school and it's completely different, like two worlds when you walk through a threshold, sometimes you feel like you have to prove yourself to one or the other. You're either not Mexican enough, you know, to to be part of the community or you're not white enough to be part of the American, you know? So it was kind of like watching that. I was like, oh, I was like, you know what? She doesn't like, she's not apologetic. She's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just mm-hmm. doing it. I'm doing that's who I am. I'm just, and I, I speak both. Not great, but I can speak both. And so it was really nice to see that. And it was like a genuine moment that was a real moment for Selena. She wasn't, you know, she tried her best, uh, didn't speak it completely perfect, but she didn't stop trying, so. <laughs> Pues me siento muy orgullosa de estar aquí con todos ustedes y me siento muy me siento muy excited. <laughs> and I mean, and it was Abe's sort of like guidance that told her, like, if you sing in Spanish, you can make an impression. You could be a trailblazer. I already did it the other way do it this way. That's why that opening scene is so interesting. Mark, any any favorite pull quotes from you on this one? <laughs> well, the one that reminded, it reminded me of you. You may not be a huge fan of the particular quote, but it's when her and Chris were talking about, and, and she's like, don't go to Corpus. It's, it's like the anywhere but Corpus Christi moment when they're like, Alaska is better than Corpus Christi at, the, at this particular point in their lives. So I, I didn't want to bring it up, Jacqueline, but if you put me on the spot, I mean, look, I enjoy Whataburger for what it is. So you know, I would have no problem hanging out with you in your hometown. Look, this is the one thing I will say. 
no matter what like affinity I have for like Corpus in my upbringing, this is also like, there's just not a lot of teenagers. We want to escape. I wanted to go with all of the hippy dippy people in Austin. I needed to find my tribe. And so I was trying to get there as quickly as possible. I'm way more similar to um, Elliot Page, sorry, their name, Elliot Page and Whip It where she's just like, I have to get out of Bodine. That was me and Corpus. Like, I have to get out of Corpus. Like, I, I cannot stay here. So, but I still have but love it, for it. And it's such a prevalent theme. And, and that's why that that quote stands out, not just because I get to poke fun at you, but it's like it, everybody, regardless of what musical genre you grew up listening to, has listened to those songs. And and for me, it's probably most relatable to, to Springsteen, where he's from New Jersey. He loves New Jersey. Every song is about him wanting to get the hell out of New Jersey. So it's it, it feels like it's just that dreamer thing. It's it goes back to Luke Skywalker who doesn't want to be on Tatooine anymore. He wants to go do something else. It's like yeah. you're, you you grow up in a place and now you want to go somewhere else and explore the world and see what you can do out there. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Um, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's talk a bit about the you know we talked about them individually, but let's kind of do the greatest hits with the cast because this was cast in incredibly well with really talented, really um, authentic um, Hispanic actors from the ones that had done, you know, Oscar nominated work to to newer faces that would become sort of like household names. So, uh, yeah, Harvey, go ahead and break down your faves. And if you want to, JLo, we've already we've already given her her flowers, but anybody in the supporting <laughs> cast? Well, I mean, I, I think I'll go back to Luke Montiveros, you know, uh, just playing Yolanda. Uh, where we know who this person was. She's a villain from the get-go, so you already know this. But, this, I mean, the way they dressed her and the similarities were so uh, uncanny. Like, I was like, wow, this looks like really perfect casting. And Edward James Olmos, of course, and I just recently got to um, talk to him, and I just didn't want to, like, fanboy out with him. Oh, wow. <laughs> because I and I was like, oh, he's on a, our, our, our network for a sister show. And it was just like, we're doing something with like uh, PR and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, it's a James Like it was like, it's, it's the Senor Quintanilla. Wow. Uh, so it was kind of like, for me, it's those two that really kind of make the ensemble uh, complete. Like everyone was perfectly cast. So uh, starting with Jennifer and then with Lupe and, um, and Edward. So it was perfect. Mark, what about you real quick before we uh, get to getting Harvey talking about what we do in the shadows and some other stuff before we get out of this section? Who was your favorite in the supporting cast? I thought Jackie Guerra was great um, as as Suzette, but then it, like you, you I, I can't escape Edward James almost, and I just I sort of feel for the guy in real life because whenever he walks down the street at any one point, he's going to have hordes of different types of people that all love him for yeah. roles that he played. Because you're going to have the Battlestar Galactica fans that just want to get selfies. You have all the Selena fans, and then you have mm -hmm. me over here just waving like I like the baseball movie for the love of the game. You know, like he's just. <laughs> He's he's great in everything, yeah. but but the Suzette character I also thought was brought a lot to the movie. Yeah, no, Suzette, I, I'm going to give it up for uh, Constance Marie, who I yep. just love her in anything. I just feel like her face is one that I want to follow um, around and other stuff. <laughs> she was also on the George Lopez show, which I also like watched uh, <laughs> extensively when that show was on air. So, no, she's great. Um, speaking of, you know, before we leave like Selena the movie, they did do the Netflix show. It's interesting because I have people who are like split on it. There's people that favor it. Har Harvey, what did you feel on the Netflix show? Did you watch it? 
I did watch it. Uh, I just like the fun facts about, you know, uh, the actress who ended up playing the mom in the series played Selena's best friend uh, who goes with her to Beverly Hills shopping for the dress and whatnot. So that was really cool to know that little fun fact. But I did feel like the series uh, focused more on the family story. So we focus on the brother, uh, A.B. and the dad. And so it was nice to to see that storyline fleshed out more. It was like, oh, I didn't know that was happening at the same time this was happening because we're focusing on one person's lives in the movie. Obviously, uh, you know, Selena. And then in the series, we're like, oh, was that? Oh, I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know that mm-hmm. their the marriage was having a little bit of a rocky moment. I didn't know that this was happening in the background. There was more members in the band that we didn't see in the movie that they have backstories as well so it was nice to see those backstories where they omitted some of the uh, band members in the movie and in the series i was like oh that's right because i always wondered that guy with the long hair in the picture i was like who's he and now we know the backstory and they give him a story i was like oh and then he ends up having to leave and like all this stuff you know spoiler if you haven't seen the series but like you know it was nice to see that backstory for the people around this character that we've uh, all grown to love and knew about. Nice to know that those other humans also have stories, you know, and they're yeah. being cool. So that was nice. Yeah, no, I think my favorite, and I'm again not trying to be whatever, but you know, <laughs> this is. But I didn't care. I knew about the Selena Beyonce moment. Like I absolutely knew about that moment before the series, and I got actually mad at Twitter because people were like they just added that in there because they're both from Texas. I'm like, no, no. Back when she was barely <laughs> out of girl time, and it was like first album of Destiny's Child, and I'm talking like Latavia, Destiny's Child. She told that story about meeting. Selena and I knew that interview I'd watched that interview and so I knew that that was real and so I actually appreciated seeing that in the series and it sort of showed which was true which is that no I'm not just part of the Hispanic culture but if you were there at that time that was yours too like this was what people from that area were talking about and you could feel it especially when she passed because I mean People were inconsolable. People didn't know how to, you know, go to school the next day. I remember like several people like called out because they just didn't know what to do. And it wasn't just because she was a girl that made hits. It was, again, because she was so accessible to their fans and she was considered to be such a hometown hero. So it uh, it definitely shows the power of community and music. And I think that's why, again, definitely deserves to be above 67 percent. <laughs> well said. Yeah. She was a bridge, you know, yeah. she united a lot of different types of people. If you see footage of all the memorials that they had around that time, it's all different demographics that are all coming together just to mourn. And and you're right. I mean, it's it's even it goes even a step further than a lot of other times when you see musicians pass away unexpectedly, tragically, and they, they have all these great observances for them. But that one, it just hits different. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said, Mark. All right, Harvey, we are not going to get out of here without talking about what we do in the shadows. First of all, congratulations on last season. I actually I think I talked to you at the beginning or maybe the end of last season. And like we were just starting to figure out where your character was going with all of his newfound power. And then the Emmys came out and y'all got nominated. So just to sort of like recap from previous, how was that? What was that moment for you? Because I know you guys campaigned so, so hard to give that show in front of Emmy voters and to hopefully get it nominated. I mean, that it was, it's so weird because, you know, we're now filming, we're halfway through season four, but two of our seasons have been under a pandemic. 
So we've actually aired season two and it was right at the beginning of it. So I remember that the first, uh, the week that we were getting excited, it's our second season um, and we're really pumped about it and the Emmys were coming up and we wanted to, you know, people to watch the show and then pandemic happened. We didn't have a premiere party. And, um, but because of that, I think in a weird way, more people were, at home and uh, and had uh, the time to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to check this out. So that year we got eight Emmy nominations yeah. just because it was like, whoa, what is this show? And people couldn't consume it fast enough. Now, the bad part was that because of the pandemic, we were still figuring out how to get back to work safely. Mm. So it, it delayed everything a little bit. So because of that, we had to postpone uh, the premiere for season three uh, into the following uh, year, which is this year. So in this year, we've actually shot in the last 10 months, we shot a whole season, which is season three, and we're halfway done season four. <laughs> 10 wow. Months. So we're pumping it out for you guys as fast as we can. Um, and then this will be airing uh, next year. So it's like we're trying to play catch up because the pandemic actually, you know, took two years of our lives um, and everything thing you know was out of uh out of order so we're just now like come on let's go let's go and so we're pumping it out which is nice because you just finished season three and everyone's like on pins and needles you won't have to wait a whole year yeah. to see it again it'll be faster than it's it's ever been in the past uh because we were able to do it in one year oh that is that. music to my ears i'm so excited i i love the show and and one of the things i really get a kick out of watching it is just as i'm sure everybody does when they check it out what is the, the sort of freedom that y'all have with the dialogue to sort of play around and, and, and improv? Is it, is it all on the page what we see on when we're watching it on TV? Or is, is there a little bit of your own stuff that you're bringing into each scene that you have sort of that leeway to, to change words or maybe just go off on tangents? Yeah, absolutely. We, we followed the formula that Taika and Jermaine uh, did for the movie, which was they, well, they did it differently. They had a script that they knew they wanted and they never gave that script to the actors. They kept it to themselves. And they, when the actors show up to work, they would just tell them exactly what was happening. Like you have to open that door, uh, talk about getting groceries and then exit out the door. And that's it, go. Yeah. And so you go along with that. But with our show, we have a team of amazing writers who, if we did the scripted version, we'd be fine and fantastic. But we do get the freedom to do what we call funsies. It's a, becoming the ongoing joke. So we do a scripted version and then we do a funsies where it's like, you know what we're doing, you know what the story is, you know, you don't have to get a word per word, but make it your 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 own as your character. And I would say that 50% of what you see on on screen, final cut is is scripted, 50% and 50 is improvised. I like that. I mean, I think it's a pressure cooker, but based on the fact yeah. that the show has only gotten better, like this last season is the highest rated that you guys had and people were talking again at just how incredible it was. It's 100%. Like you guys started pretty good at like 94, then 98, but then now in the third season where other shows go down, you guys are like taking it up a notch. And not to like put too many spoilers out there, folks should have seen it by now. It's been over a year, but... <laughs> The, the way we sort of like leave your character in the end of season three, I think, I don't know, like, can you at least, you know, kind of tell us what you think is going to happen next or, or you know what well, I mean? Yeah, it's we see that we think we finally see Guillermo getting what he wants and uh, potentially taking the step in the right direction. And unfortunately, um, he is uh, put in a trunk and sealed and uh, sent across the Atlantic Ocean 
to England to protect Naja. So everyone's doing something out of love. So uh, Laszlo's reaction to protecting his lady love is sending me with her to protect her as a bodyguard because I'm a good bodyguard. But unfortunately, he doesn't care about what my desires are because I have plans to meet someone at the train station. And then that person thinks I stood them up. <laughs> now they leave without me. And now I'm in a trunk with Orioles and Pedialyte <laughs> to hold me across my transatlantic <laughs> Journey. So Oreos and Pedialyte, like the minute I saw that, I was like, vampires really have no idea what it takes no to idea save what humans. Yeah, but I, I can appreciate what Lazo did for his love, but it also has a ripple effect. You know, everyone's action has a reaction. And so uh, it sets us up for where do we go? Like we are separated. Also, we, Colin Robinson passed away because uh, they only live to be 100 years old. And spoiler, we haven't seen it, but there's also rebirth. So with every, you know, death, there's a rebirth. And so we're bringing that up. And so where does this leave us? I mean, season four picks up where, you know, uh, time has gone by and we'll see uh, where everyone's at at their uh, previous or current stages in life. <laughs> I love oh, that. Oh, this is so exciting. And, and I, I don't, I, now I just love thinking about what we do in Shadows in the context of it's like a, it's like a, a cereal box and it just says now with 50% more funsies. And so <laughs> if, if we extrapolate that further, is there, is there one particular scene you can remember of any of the seasons you've done or one of the episodes, a scene where everybody broke and you just could not stop laughing? You just couldn't get it back together because it was just such a funny moment. It's, I mean, there's a scene where we're doing around the table. I think it was season two um, where we're uh, the ghost episode. Yeah, I think it's the beginning of season two, um, the ghost episode where we're all around the seance table and Naja is like, oh, but, oh, like she's singing. And mm -hmm. it was just like the ridiculous, like singing that she was doing. And then I think at one point, Laszlo, we hear a noise and it's Colin Robinson's knee that hit the table. And then we're all like, you hear that's a ghost. And then I think Matt says something like, I think it's one of Tommy Squeaker's sounds over there. Like, <laughs> Like, he was like saying like that Guillermo was, you know, uh, passing gas at the table. And I was like, he just improvised that. And I just couldn't stop laughing like uncontrollably. And they actually use a really quick clip in the scene where I didn't think they would, but I look over at, at, uh, at Nandor and he's laughing, but we're not even laughing in character. We're laughing to ourselves. And like, they use that clip in the show. So when I watched the episode, I was like, Oh my God, they kept it. I was like, we broke, but they kept it as, and it still goes smooth with the idea of us hanging out around a table. Cause it was organic. It felt real and it was you caught real laughter on screen <laughs> oh that's oh, great that's awesome well listen i literally could talk about this show <laughs> forever but you're a busy man with more folks to talk to about uh season three and and what else is coming up for what we do in the shadows but before we let you get out of here as you are a man in the know who likes to watch things do you have a recommendation for our listeners to check out um, as a movie or feature or anything in particular? Whatever you want. You can give a, Whatever. you know, anything. <laughs> um, I would say um, I, I try to balance things out. So since I do comedy, I go home and the way that I decompress is watching bad reality TV. <laughs> and when I say bad, I mean, it's good. Yeah. It's really good. Um, so I'm obsessed with the housewives right now, like the real housewives mm. Beverly Hills and that drama. Like this is like not even scripted. This is like real life. There's a lot of drama going on. There's a lot of drama going on. And so I like to like uh, go away from what I do for a living and then watch other people watch what they do for a living. <laughs> or, the, yeah. or what they shouldn't be doing for a living. And True that. Watch that I'm just a, a big uh, fan of it. So if you want to you know, switch away from watching scripted uh, TV and scripted comedy or dramas, 
try a reality show. You won't be disappointed. It just puts a pep in your step when when, when you watch The Housewives because I, I leave every episode like, thank God I'm not dealing with that. Yeah, thank exactly. God I don't thank have God. any yeah, issues. I feel good. I'm like, oh, that's that's dramatic. And I got nothing to do with that. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Harvey. This has been a treat yet again. Please come back with ever whatever you're 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 promoting. We would love to chat with you. And folks, if you have not, which shame on you, caught up on what we do in the shadows, all three seasons are streaming now on Hulu, and you can catch up now just in time for the very apparently quickly coming season four. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's very exciting. Thank you. All right. We're going to take just a quick break from breaking down whether or not Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about this week's movie and tell you guys about another project of ours that is near and dear to our hearts and has just hit shelves. That's right. We have written another book. Rotten Tomatoes, The Ultimate Binge Guide is now out on shelves and you can find it everywhere books are sold. In it, myself, along with the other editors at Rotten Tomatoes, write up about all the TV classics you love and clue you in on a few hidden gems you've yet to find out are your new favorites. Whether or not you are a TV bingeaholic or someone that is just looking for your next great show to fall in love with, this is the perfect gift for any television fan. Again, you can find Rotten Tomatoes, The Ultimate Binge Guide, 296 must-see shows that change the way you watch TV wherever books are sold. Pick your copy up today. I love chatting with him. He is such a warm ray of sunshine. And if again, if you guys have not seen What We Do in the Shadows, you are missing out. It has some of the best comedy and some of the best guest stars on television because many of them, like us, love the show. Some of the best guffaws. And I'm not just saying and highlighting the episode that has my guy Mark Hamill in it, but yeah. the... Just the name, even if you haven't seen the show, you probably have heard somebody say the name Jackie Daytona. And I I implore you to go check out not just that season of it. Start with season one and work your way because it's just, it's a riot. It's a it's such a great concept. It's one of those things that I saw when I first saw the movie that Taika did. And I said, ah, I wish I thought of that concept. It's that smart. Yeah. And honestly, rush through that. And honestly, it's anything Taika Waititi or Jermaine Clement does is hilarious. Go find Flight of yeah. the Concords. Go watch their new show, Reservoir Dogs. I mean, these guys were meant to tell fun and interesting stories. And that's kind of what they've been doing uh, since they came onto the scene. So I'm so excited for that. No mailbag today. Please, guys, don't get mad at us. We've just had some really incredible guests and we wanted to give you as much time with them as possible but we will rip open the mailbag soon in the meantime keep emailing us subscribe rate review tell your friends the podcast has been growing so much and we appreciate it we know it is from you the catch-up crew that we're able to do this and we do it for you mark what do we have on deck for next week I think we should do, I think we've been doing this long enough to where we can do like a mailbag episode, right? You think we could just do a mailbag where just we talk about a bunch of different movies. That's not going to be next week. Next week, it's another very special episode with a very special guest. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, rate, review, whatever, however you're listening to us, do whatever that platform asks you to do to uh, support our podcast. We could not be doing this without y'all and be running as long as we have. So thanks to our Fresh Ketchup crew. Yes. And we will see y'all next week. Bye. Bye.